Okay, we are finishing our Bible study for the year. Uh, next week we will have a communion service at this time slot, uh, leading us into Thanksgiving. Special time we like to set aside for thanking God for giving his life for us and, and sharing the, around the Lord's table. It's good to go to his table before you go to yours. So we like to do that. And uh, that'll be next Tuesday. Tuesday after is a little short annual meeting. We keep them very short because we know how boring they can be. So we go zoom, zoom right through, and then we decorate the tree. You can imagine that in two weeks there'll be a giant tree in that corner there. And uh, we're looking forward to that season, too. Um, and after that, we are not sure. We've, we've always gone caroling at the nursing homes, and we are working on that. And it doesn't look very good. Uh, we tried to see if we could do video for them, send it in. They turned it down oh. only because, well, there's a couple of reasons. They don't have the ability to show it, apparently, first of all. And secondly, uh, they don't have, uh, people don't get together. They stay in their rooms all the time. So we are trying to convince them to let us walk around the outside of the building and sing. That hasn't happened yet. We don't know whether it will or not. So <clears throat> I don't know what harm that would do, but I don't know, you know what we can do about it either. So, so that's kind of uh, still all up in the air. We will go caroling in the neighborhood. We hope to do that, which will be another Tuesday night, three weeks off. Uh, although I think everybody that we went to last year has passed away. So I guess our timing was good last year, but uh, kind of makes a shorter list. But we need to sit down and think about that, too. So Tuesdays will be occupied. After that, some food drive on Tuesday, and then it will almost be Christmas. So uh, this is our last class, then, of the year. And I've been thinking, we did a series out of Ezekiel, that great prophet, all full of wonderful stuff, and enjoyed it very much, I think. And uh, now we've caught a couple of odds and ends as we finished up. Uh, we did Caleb, the man who was all full of faith, and God preserved him. God kept him. And we talked about the keeping power of God. We did Amos, the farmer, prophet, and talked about the basket of ripe fruit and so on last week. And we're going to turn this week to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth. Just after the book of Judges is a little short book called Ruth. <coughs> and originally, Ruth was just the end of Judges. 
It wasn't separate. It was part of Judges, which is interesting because if you think about Judges, uh, it's always, they're always doing something wrong, getting in trouble, needing help. That's how the book of Judges is. They do the wrong thing. They get in trouble. Somebody cries out for help, and God raises up Gideon or Samson or whoever down through that book. And then you come to the end, and they stuck uh, the book of Ruth right in there at the very end. And it's like a breath of fresh air after seeing everything that went wrong in the book of Judges to come to the book of Ruth. Uh, Some people... You know, some people think they're so smart they can't believe how smart they are. And when they uh, study the Bible, they want it to be so hard that the rest of us can't get it. And so they can be the ones that explain it. (laughs) And uh, as Mr. Tozer used to say, they've been educated beyond their intelligence. Um, But (laughs) uh, here's a book that appears to be very, very simple. It's just a straightforward, simple little story. It's not so simple as all that. I think it's really profound. And uh, it is a book about the power of love. I would say why I chose to do it. Because if you look at society now, if you can stand it. Uh, You look at society, it's really, in my experience, one of the darker times because they have turned people against each other. The government has a way of turning people against each other and, and people swallow it whole and as a matter as as a matter of fact, uh, there's always somebody going to turn somebody else in, or punch somebody, or who knows. It's it's a society that's really, uh, and if we're not careful, we can become. It can rub off on us. We can become too critical too. But this is about the power of love, and uh, the. Uh, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, that great chapter on love. And remember what he said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So really at this time when there's such a uh, bitterness in the world, a lot of hatred out in the world, it's Christians' time to stand up and be known as people that love. And that really love the way they should. And so the book of Ruth fits in, I think, very well with what we have here. And uh, so we're going to start reading and just making comments about it. There's four major events that I want to look at. And I will talk through some of it so we don't read every single verse. Uh, But uh, I want to show you a little bit just the background. So we begin chapter 1 of Ruth, verse 1. It came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And if you could think of the map on your, uh, in your mind with the Mediterranean Ocean, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River, 
in the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem here in Bethlehem, where they lived, they were from Bethlehem, was there, and they would cross over into Moab, which was over here, outside of Israel, because there's a famine in Israel, and they can't get by, so they move to where the food is, they go to Moab. And uh, <clears throat> verse 2, the man was named Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, husband died, and she was left and her two sons. They took them wives of the women of Moab. One was Orpha, the other name of the other, Ruth. They dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. And so uh, the situation is kind of a tragic one. They move out there hoping to do a little better in life. Uh, her husband dies. She has two sons. Two sons get married, and then at very young ages, they both die too. And so everybody in her family has died. She has two daughter-in-laws left. That's all she has. And so uh, the daughter-in-laws, uh, she says to them, look, you're, you're from Moab. Your families are from Moab. I'm going to go home to Bethlehem. I have kindred there. And so uh, I don't think you should come with me. You need to go home. Verse 11, Naomi said, turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husband? I can't do that anymore. So uh, you're not going to get a husband from me. And if uh, so, go back home and do what you should do. Now, verse 14. Listen carefully. They lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, and Ruth clave unto. Her. So, Orpha loved Naomi, right? Orpha loved Naomi. And Ruth also loved Naomi. They both loved Naomi. And the situation is kind of drastic. Orpha says, well, I probably will go home to my family because I'm not sure what else to do. And she kisses her and cries, and off she goes. It says, Ruth claved to her, that is, she clung to her. She's hanging on to her, hanging on to her. And this is what she says. Verse 15, she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back to her people, unto her gods. Return now after thy sister-in-law. You go home too. And there's a very famous line. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, nor to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people. Thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also of aught but death part thee and me. And so, Ruth said, Don't Please don't ask me to leave. I don't want to leave. I want to go with you. I'm going to stay right with you. 
I'm going to cling to you very closely. And so there is situations that come that is God sorting things out. God has a way of sorting out people to see who's who. And when all the men died, let's see if there's a sorting. Who's going to come out? And I think COVID has been a sorting. As God is seeing who's faithful and who's not. I think it's been that way. Let's see now uh, where it all comes out. And sometimes the things in life that happen to us which are difficult, I think is God sorting us out, testing us to see who will do the best. And is there any question that Ruth loves more? Right? Ruth loves more than Orpha. She loves more. They say they both love her. Well, Ruth loves more. I'm going to say Ruth loves a lot more. Because she said, uh, if you, whatever you're going to live, that's where I'm going to live. I don't have a choice. I'm with you. Your family from now on is my family. So she turned her back on her own family for Naomi. She says, your God is going to be my God. Everything about you, whatever you, where you die, I'm going to die. We'll be buried together. So Ruth has no choices of her own. She gave up everything of her own choices for Naomi. The very selfless kind of love that she has. And when it gets down to it, God wants to know who loves the most. That was one of Jesus' great questions that he asked. Who loves the most? He told a story about some people who had borrowed money and the person who lent the money forgave them. Don't worry about paying back. One of them just owed a little bit. One owed a lot. And Jesus' question was, who loves more of the two that were forgiven? Which one loves the most? Well, the one that loved the most is the one that was forgiven the most, Jesus said. And so it's in a question with Jesus always is who loves the most? And it's true among us. Who loves the most? Who will ask for the least for their own self, taking whatever we can for somebody else? And certainly for the Lord. How much do you love the Lord? You say that to God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll live where you want me to live. I'll do what you want me to do. Uh, there's a song in the book. I'll go where you want me to go. It may not be on the mountaintop or over the stormy sea. Uh, that My Lord will have need of me. But if by still small voice he calls to pass, I do not know. I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine. I'll go where you want me to go. 
I'll say what you want me to say, and I'll do what you want me to do. And so Ruth approached to Naomi is, <clears throat> it's all you. I, I love you, and you make every choice, and I'll follow it. I'll follow. So it's quite a statement to make for a mother and a daughter-in-law. It's different, isn't it? You know, usually we call in-laws outlaws, right? You say, I'm the outlaw and you're, you're the in-law. You know, that's kind of the way we look at things a lot of times because families are different. You say, well, you're the in-law or you're the outlaw. And uh, uh, not in this case. Ruth is clinging to Naomi. Naomi accepts it because she loves her so much that she's proved it, proved how much she loved. And I think that that's the value of the book, is that there's an intense amount of love from Ruth to Naomi, all right? It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a statement of loyalty, and love leads to loyalty. And true love makes someone very loyal. And certainly Ruth was very loyal. Now Naomi's an older woman. So they go back to Bethlehem, back out of Moab, back to their Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And everybody's talking, look who's home. It's been years, we haven't seen him, and now they're home. It's Naomi. She said, don't call me Naomi. I got another name now. It's bitter is my name. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because my life is horrible. I lost everything I had. I lost my husband. I lost my sons. The only thing I got is this girl, this Moabite girl. All I got left. So don't call me by my name, Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. And I, my life is very bitter. And so uh, she's home, but she's not feeling too good yet. Chapter 2, enter a man named Boaz. Boaz. When they get home, what are you going to do? Well, there's two ladies. One's an old lady, and then this young girl, Ruth, and we're going to have to provide for each other and so you're going to have to glean in the fields ladies so I, I don't think you would like gleaning any one of you <laughs> I wouldn't want to glean for a living glean for your food and that's what they did and gleaning means they go in the field and they harvest it and whatever drops on the ground then you can pick it up so you know you spend every all day doing that. That feels good, huh? Every day you're down picking up off the ground. Now you're not picking up big bundles. You're picking up the kernels that fell off when they harvested. So you're down with your fingers scraping kernels of wheat and trying to get enough wheat. And so that's how they're going to live. 
Now, Naomi said, we do have a relative here, and he's, this Boaz is a man of considerable wealth. And so when you glean, Ruth, I want you to go to his fields. Go to his fields. I think that'll be the best thing you can do. And so she does. Uh, and she's gleaning in the field. And Boaz is coming. Now there's a harvest time uh, we can't even conceive of. Everybody's involved. All right, so they've hired everybody they can get to come in and work to harvest the crop. And there's a lot of young men there that harvest. There's young ladies that come along and serve food and do whatever needs to be done. And they're working too. And then behind those people are the gleaners who are the poor folks from all around who go and glean out of the field. And so Boaz is coming. He's the boss. He owns the place. He's coming. And verse 4, he arrives at the harvest uh, where they're harvesting the wheat. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. That's a nice thing to say on your way to work, isn't it? That's a good thing to say. If, if your boss said, hey, Lord bless you today. <laughs> That'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? That'd be a great thing to have somebody say that. So he's a good fellow. We like him and the reapers like him. And they answer back, God bless you. God bless you. And then Boaz said to his servants that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? Or who's that woman? He sees Ruth. Right? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It's the Moabitess damsel that came back with Naomi, uh, the country of Moab. That's the one came home with Naomi. She's a Moabite. She's not one of us. Uh, she's here gleaning in the fields. And she asked if she could glean. And so she's there uh, picking up kernels of wheat off the ground. Verse 8, then said Boaz to Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to gleam in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here by my maidens, and let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have not I charged the young men, they shall not touch thee. When thou art thirst, go to the vessels, and drink that which the young men have drawn. So uh, he says, and this is a very down-to-earth human book. He says, don't mess with the young men. They're going to bother you. And actually what it means is they're going to molest you. That's what it means. That's what it actually means. Don't go hanging around the young men. You go ahead and do your gleaming. And I will tell them to leave you alone. And you go ahead and glean in my field. And he says, I heard about you. I know that you've been very good to Naomi. So now the love that she has toward Naomi is beginning to be known. It's beginning to spread. They say, this, she's out here taking care of Naomi. Why she's gleaning in the field. And so uh, he tells her, you come and you uh, work in my fields. Now... I like this next part. Uh, 
Verse 15. Let's go to 14. Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come up thither, and eat of the bread, dip thy morsel in the vinegar. She sat beside the reapers, reached her parcel, parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. So she came up and ate lunch with them, and then she went right back to work. She's an ambitious young lady. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. Now, uh, when they cut wheat, they gathered it into sheaves, tie it up into a bundle, it's set around the field. And of course, naturally, next to the sheave is where you drop the most kernel. And so, in a lot of cases, they would clean that up themselves, the workers. Now he said, now if she comes up and she's gleaning along, don't you kick her out. You leave her alone. Let her do that. All right. And then I love this. There's, this is the second part. That's such a special thing. And let fall also some of the handfuls on purpose for her. And leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. That's one of the famous sayings out of the book of Ruth. You may have heard it before. Handfuls on purpose. There's books written by one of my absolute favorite authors. It was Joseph Parker. And the name that he puts all through his book is Handfuls on Purpose. Handfuls on purpose. So he says, when, when you're gleaning, and you, once in a while, just let a handful go down. Get another handful. Leave it around there. I want her to get plenty. I want handfuls on purpose for her. Verse 17, she gleaned in the field till even beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Or she picked over a bushel. Over a bushel. Now those baskets there are half bushels. Those the two of those she gathered in one day of little seeds, scraping seeds off the ground. So it's important to know that Ruth is ambitious, right? She worked till dark. She ate lawn as soon as she finished, she went right back to work. She worked till dark. And blew off the chaff and gathered the kernels and had a bushel, over a bushel, that she gathered through the whole day. She's very ambitious. And so, see, when they say handfuls on purpose, it's there on the ground if you want to get up and get it. And so God does the same thing for us. There's handfuls on purpose all over if you want it. If you want to get up and get it and go to work and bend over and do the gleaning, God's got handfuls laid out for you. There's handfuls there. They didn't collect it for her. They dropped it on the ground. And she went around and picked it off the ground. And so in... God's way of dealing with humans, handfuls on purpose, is very much God's method. He drops handfuls on purpose 
so that you can get them if you're willing to work for them. You gotta, and God likes ambition. He's very ambitious himself and he likes ambition. So uh, this lady handfuls on purpose. He's, he's blessed her. He's been very kind to her. She goes in to the town and shows Naomi, look, I got a whole bushel. A whole bushel today of wheat. Where did you go? Well, we were in Boaz Field. That's where uh, you said to go, and that's where I went. And uh, <clears throat> verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said to me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men till they have ended all my harvest. And so uh, it's not an accident, all right, what happened. Uh, they have gone to Boaz, and he is called near kinsman. He's a near kinsman. That is, he's closely related. Now, you got people that are near kinsmen. Some of you are near kinsmen to each other. All right? uh, we have near kinsmen here. But it's a whole different story in Jewish thinking. Being near kinsmen is a whole other story. And we'll get to that uh, in a minute. All right? So this is an important step. So we've met Boaz. He's a grand old man, good man. And he's very good to Ruth, leaving her bushels on purpose. Chapter 3. Now this next part of this story is really unusual. It's just, it's just unique. Uh, and if you, we live in a society where anything goes, do whatever you want, right? Nobody cares, do whatever you want. Uh, we live in that kind of society. Uh, when people read this, they don't know quite how to take it. Because it sounds a little wrong. Sounds a little wrong. Because your, your ears are used to hearing garbage. So it kind of sounds a little bit wrong. Let's take a look and see. All right. It's Naomi who's making a plan. Chapter 3, verse 1. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, I shall, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? I want to do something good for you. And now is not Boaz of our kindred... With whose maidens thou was, behold, he went with barley tonight in the fresh threshing floor. So uh, he's near kin to us, uh, and they're working tonight uh, on the barley. They've harvested the barley, and they're on the f threshing floor, and uh, that is where they beat it and separate the grain from the ch chaff. So they're all working tonight there. 
verse five, wash, three, wash yourself therefore, anoint thee, put thy raiment on, get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. It shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in, uncover his feet, and lie thee down. He will tell thee what thou shalt do. It uh, sounds, you know, we think, well, wait a minute there, Naomi. What are you telling her to do? Wait till he lays down and get up there next to him. Say, wow, that doesn't sound right. The fault is in ourselves. All right, here we go. Verse 6. She went down to the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, that doesn't mean he was drunk. All right, as a matter of fact, specifically, it says in the original language, he's just had his meal and he's happy. Harvest is coming well. They're winnowing on the floor tonight. He's feeling good. He's happy. Uh, life is good. And so he's happy. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And so he doesn't go home to go to bed. He goes around and there's a big old pile of grain. He lays right on. <laughs> That's an old farmer way, you know. Just lay right down there, take a break. And he's laying on the wheat and uh, uh, he is going to go to sleep. And she came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid her down. Probably, when it says uncovered his feet, that's not anything particularly unusual. It's precisely what it means. Um, he would have a big heavy cloak, a big cloak with him, and he'd use it like a blanket and spread most of it over his feet and lay down. He's got his head on the grain. He's covered up over his feet and he's going to sleep. And she comes up and pushes the cloak over out of the way and lays down at his feet. Verse 8. And it came to pass at midnight the man was afraid and turned himself. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. Well, <laughs> he wasn't there when I went to sleep. What's she doing there now? And he said, who art thou? He bet he did. And she answered, I am Ruth thy handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaiden, for thou art a near kinsman. Right. Spread thy skirt over thy handmaid. And we, of course, think the worst of that. This doesn't mean that at all. Um... When you married somebody in this time, uh, you, there was something you did during the ceremony, and that was you took your coat and you put it over your wife's head. That's what they did. All right? uh, they, so they, they had a, a, a coat. And put it over your wife's head. That means you hear your mind now. It's just a way of saying you belong to me. We're married. You got married. And so 
Uh, she's not asking to lay down with him, to move over and let me in, nothing like that at all. What she's saying is, uh, will you marry me? Well, that's pretty bold too, right? No, 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 no. No, she says precisely, uh, spread thy skirt over thy handmaiden, which was a thing that they would do in a wedding ceremony, for thou art a near kinsman. You're a near kinsman. All right, you're a close relative. Actually, not to her, right, but to Naomi. He said, Watch this. This is what he said. He said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than in the beginning. Inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or poor. All right. So when she says this, he understands perfectly what she's saying. It's us that misunderstand, right? We're the ones that take it in a bad way. It's not at all what they think at all. And so he says to her, I got to tell you, uh, I thought you were sweet and kind when you took care of Naomi. And now you're here laying at my feet and you asked me to cover you with my skirt. Uh, I got to tell you, that's the nicest thing I ever heard. It's the nicest thing I ever heard. Why is he, what's he mean by that? Well, uh, she's a young girl. And he is not a young man. He's an older man. And so you expect the young girls to hang around with the young boys. Well, he already told them, don't you be molesting that girl. You leave her be. All right? He's protected her up to that point. And now he says, here you're taking care of old Naomi. And now you're coming to me, an old man, and asking if I will take you for a wife. And that's the sweetest, kindest thing I can think of. Why? Because he's the old man. Young girls want young men. <laughs> Well, you come to me, he said. Verse 11, now my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. For all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. So this, her coming and lying at his feet secretly till he wakes up and discovers her is entirely pure because he said, everybody knows you're a virtuous woman. If you wanted to live the other way, you'd gone with the young boys. But you didn't. Verse 12. And now it is true, I am thy near kinsman. How be it, there is a kinsman nearer than I. All right, so there's a problem. We got to work his problem out. Tarry this night, it should be in the morning. He will perform to thee the part of a kinsman well, but let him do the kinsman part. If he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then I will do the part of a kinsman to thee. As the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning. She rose up before one could know another, or while it was still dark, she couldn't be recognized. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the floor. 
And he also said, bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it. She's got a cloak. And she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her and she went into the city. And so he fills up her with two, two bushels. He's got two bushels now. It's quite a heavy load. Two bushels of grain. And she takes it home to her mother-in-law. Now, what's all this stuff about? And why is it going this way? Deuteronomy chapter number 25. We get an explanation of what this is all about. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Moses wrote a series of laws which represented the social structure of Israel. It was a way that Israelites were supposed to behave. And it was unique. There had never been anything like it before and not really ever since. Uh, American law and American history has little to do with social structure, but nothing like this. This was very precise action that God required. And this is a unique thing uh, to the Jewish thinking. It was instruction that came from God. And so here we go. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 5. If brethren dwell together and one of them die, have no child... The wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. So if your, your brother died and uh, she's a widow, his wife is a widow and has no children in particular... All right, then you're supposed to marry that girl. Verse 6, And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name not be put out of Israel. So uh, when they have a child, you know, the brother died, and his brother that is alive married his wife, they have a child. It doesn't get his name. It gets the one that died. He gets to carry that name. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. So if this happened and... The brother that's alive says, I don't want to marry her. Then you take it to court. And there's, and there's would be ten men who sat in a gate. And that's how they made court. Much more efficient than ours. All right? Way more efficient. Be ten men, elders who sit in a gate, and they call the case up. Okay, give your evidence. She'd say, well, he's supposed to marry me so that we can have a child. So we preserve my dead husband's name. He refuses to do it. Verse 8, and the elders of the city shall call him, speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I, night, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders, loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face. <laughs> 
I guess she got her point across, didn't she? And she'll answer and say, So shall be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. So you walk around, there's a guy with a loose shoe. And she's spitting his eye. All right. And so, very serious way of thinking. And this is why... Naomi says, you go in Boaz's field and glean. Because he's a near kinsman. And so it'd be his responsibility, seeing that my sons are dead and your husband is dead. The nearest kinsman has a responsibility of marrying you. And so that's why Naomi says to Ruth, uh, we got to do this. And and so you go lay at his feet. And you're going to ask him uh, to do his responsibility and marry you, help you through our situation. All right, now we go back to chapter 4, Ruth. And so uh, we have this. Ruth, who loves more, loves a lot more, and there's something in her that's pretty special. And Boaz, who offers handfuls on purpose, and then she lays at his feet. It's a very touching, really, it's a very touching story, a very tender, very touching story uh, of two people who have the utmost respect for each other, the utmost care for each other. So it all looks good, right? Boaz, yeah, I'll be happy to do it. I'll be happy to take you for my wife. I'm surprised you want me with all these young men around. So I'm more than happy. It's very kind of you to ask. And I'm going to do my part, but there's one problem. There's another guy who is a closer relative than I am. He gets first choice. Now, in Israel, uh, property was given to a family forever. It wasn't bought and sold like we do with property. Um, Every 50 years was called a year of jubilee. And every 50 years, all the property went back to the original family that it came from. So you could buy your neighbor's land, see? You say, well, that doesn't belong to me. That belongs to that family. Well, he might sell it to you and say, I'm going to sell you this property. So for the next 49 years, you can farm it. 50 years, it's back to mine. And so you'd say, okay, for 49 years, I'll pay you so much for it. Or he may say, I'm going to sell it to you, and it's only going to be a year, and the 50th year comes. Well, it ain't worth much. You know, so if you're selling it at 49 years, it's worth quite a bit. If you're selling it one year, it's not worth nothing, because at the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, all property returns to its original owners. It's a great society that they set up. And so uh, Boaz comes at this, uh, that, that Naomi has property in Bethlehem. It belongs to her. 
belonged to her husband. And when they left and went to Moab, they didn't, they might have sold it, but it's still hers. You know, they might have said, well, we're going to be gone for, you know, whenever the year of Jubilee is, you know, you can buy it. But you know it goes back to the family. And so part of the near kinsman's role has to do with the family farm. So he can say, all right, I want to take over this property that belongs to Naomi and her husband, and I'm willing to take over that property and work it, uh, also recognizing that I'm responsible for his wife, too. So there's somebody else that's first in line, not Boaz. Here we go, chapter 4. Then went Boaz up to the gate and sat him down. Behold, the kinsman of Boaz spake came by, whom he said, Ho, such a one, how you doing today? In other words, turn aside, sit down here. Turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city, said, Sit you down here. And they sat down. So he's got court all set. Guy walked by, said, Hey, come on over. Let's talk. Here's the boys ready. So, justice is great. I love it. Three. And he said to the kinsman Naomi, that is, come out of the country of Moab, south of parcel land, which was our brother Elimelech. Right? So he said, Naomi's got this property. Uh, and I thought to advertise thee, saying, buy it before the inhabitants, before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. Thou wilt not redeem it, and tell me that I may know. For there is none to redeem it besides thee, or your first, I'm after thee. And he said, I'll redeem it. I'll buy the property. You bet I will. I'll take the property. More than willing to pay Naomi, I want the property for however long uh, till the year of Jubilee. Then said Boaz, the day you buy the field of the hand of Naomi, thou must buy it of Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. So he said, now, when you want, you want this property, okay, you get the wife, too. You got to take care of Ruth. It's her property. It was her husband that died, and you got to take care of her. So uh, one goes with the other. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, <laughs> lest I mar my own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Right? So I don't want it. No, he may have had a legitimate reason. Maybe he didn't, right? But we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So he had a legitimate reason. What would it be? He's already married. What would it be a legitimate reason? He said, well, I can't buy that property and take care of Ruth. I'm already married. So that could be what it is. Maybe not, but it could be. <clears throat> now, this was the manner... In former times in Israel, concerning the redeeming and concerning changing for to confirm all things, a man plucked off his shoe, gave it to his neighbor, was a testimony. And it was, oh, here we go with the shoe again. <laughs> Something about shoes, all right? Therefore the kinsman said to Boaz, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. He takes his shoe, says, you got it. You can have my shoe to prove that I'm all okay with you doing it. 
And Boaz said to the elders and to the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilion's and Malon's of the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabite is the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife, to raise up the name of the dead on his inheritance. The name of the dead be not cut off from his brethren from the gate of his place. You are witnesses to this. And so he agrees to go ahead and uh, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she was his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception and she bare a son. And so now uh, she has a son through Boaz. He's become her husband and it's all been according to the Jewish law. Somebody's got to take care of the widows, and that's how they do it. And you, you're the brother, you're a near kinsman, relative, and you got the responsibility. And so he gladly takes the responsibility. He agrees to pay for her. And of course, the near kinsman of us is Jesus. He's our near kinsman. He's the one who stepped up and said, I'll pay for them. I'll take care of any problem. I'll take them under my wing. I'll care for them. They'll become my bride. That's how we got called the bride of Christ. Church is called the bride of Christ. Right? Because the near kinsman says, I will pay. I will redeem. And so he redeems her and her family, and uh, they come uh, to have that. And it's the idea is we purchase her as a thing of value. It wasn't just it's a duty I got to do this thing. She's valuable, so I buy her, I pay for her because she's valuable. And you and I are valuable to God. He loves us. So he's willing to pay for us. And by the way, he paid a considerable debt for us. Because he thought you were valuable. You were worth it. He figured you were worth it. And so he redeemed. He paid and filled up. And he, you, he thought you were very valuable. And it's to give you a name. It's to preserve the name. And so we're given a name. So love values its own. And this is a wonderful love story as he values the woman. Now, of course, what happens, what nobody ever figured uh, would happen. Verse 17, the woman, her neighbor, gave it a name saying, there is a son born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so uh, she becomes uh, grandmother uh, to King David, a Moabite who's brought in from the outside into Israel because she said the most important thing Ruth said was what? You know, your people are my people, your house is my house, but then she said, your God is my God. 
And the Moabites worshiped Shemash. You may have heard me speak of Shemash before. He's the one that they burned babies. They, they sacrificed babies to. Say, well, I thought that was Baal. They didn't care. As long as they had somebody to sacrifice, they sacrificed babies to Shemash. So uh, that, she left that, was born a Moabitess, but is redeemed into the family and becomes grandmother to King David. Now, that's a whole lot better story than anything in the book of Judges, isn't it? Book of Judges is all full of, he did something wrong, God punished us, and we got delivered finally. And over and over and over and over again. And then we think Samuel wrote it, the book of Judges, and he stuck this on the end so that we'd say, wow, there wasn't all, they weren't all miserable and foolish. Look at this little lady who came from a whole other country who abandoned that for love and fell into this wonderful loving relationship as she's lying in the, by the pile of wheat by his feet, moving his blanket, laying down by his feet. So it's a very touching story of love that ends with a great redemption which becomes the history of God's family. So when people say, all right, here's a, here's a kind of a plain old simple story. There's nothing plain or simple about it. It is a story of redemption brought about because of overwhelming sense of love. Love first, as Naomi shows towards others, sacrificing her whole self, gave herself to Naomi, not knowing what would happen and look what happened. She married this wonderful man, Boaz, who his workers love. And uh, he becomes the father of Obed, who will have Jesse, who will have David. And Samuel will anoint David to be king. All right? So it's a love story of a really extraordinary uh, experience in the history of the Son of God. And I think God has things in our histories too. I think there's things in all of our histories that are like this, where somebody comes along and just does something wonderful for God, and that leads us, leads up to us. And in our past, I hope there's people in your past. And if there's not, you say, well, I don't have anybody like that in my past. Then you start. You start it today. You be the one, then, that goes on. All right? So that's the Bible study for tonight. Book of Ruth, love story, excellence. Uh, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure always talking with you on Tuesday night. I enjoy it. I live for it, happy to do it. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for coming all these times.